You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. So this morning we start a new series in Hosea. And so you may ask, why Hosea? Well, you know, David Leatherman would give you the top 10 reasons for a certain, um, why that he, like kind of a certain topic. I'm not going to give you 10, but I'm going to give you five. Number five, we'll work from bottom to top, right? Number five is, I never preached on Hosea before. Uh, so we are going to do this together, grow together in that. And I'm realizing I probably bit off more than I can chew, but... Number five, never preach it. Number four is that not many know about Hosea and the other minor prophets. Not, a lot of them do not get uh, focused on. Now, there's other minor prophets are known as Joel and, and Amos and Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. They all are minor prophets, not because they are less important, but, but basically because of the size of the books that they wrote. Number three, it provides wisdom. Hosea provides wisdom. The book of Hosea provides much wisdom for Christians today. Number two, it's relevant for today. The study of Hosea is timely for Christians living in the 21st century. Even though the details may be different, Christians today are dealing with many of the same sin struggles and issues of the 8th century B.C., materialism, accommodation, and conforming to the popular cultural norms of the day, allegiance to other non-Christian practices and beliefs, our own struggle of what is important in life. And number one, drum roll, Jim, where are you? He's not there. <laughs> is the title of the sermon, God's Relentless Love. Even though God's faith people are unfaithful, God is still relentless in his pursuit of us. Our God does not give up on us. His love is eternal, never changes. I'm hopefully that that message would too be loud and clear in our journey together through Hosea. This morning, we're going to simply look at the man of Hosea. This is probably the shortest passage I'll ever read, and I'll preach on. But that does not mean it's going to be a short sermon. <laughs> so here we are. Hosea 1, 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Bari, in the days of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, again, we gather around this morning around your word, and we thank you for the songs and the prayers that, and the confessions that remind us of who you are and who we are. And I pray, Father, even in this message today, it's a lot of information, but I pray, Lord, that it helps us to get a glimpse of where you take, you're taking us in the next, this next series in Hosea. So, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work of grace even now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgive you. I personally want the best for you. I don't want you to go to jail. 
I want the best for you. And I know the best for you is to know and trust Jesus Christ. Anybody familiar with those words? A couple weeks ago, I, there was a verdict of a man from St. Lucia that was killed tragically by a drunk officer in his own house. He went, she went to their own house because she was drunk and she killed this young man. And during the sentencing, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And in the, after the trial, they have these impact statements that parents and friends can share. Brant, the younger brother, 18-year-old, says those words to the one who murdered his brother. I forgive you. I want the best for you. And the best for you is to know and trust Jesus Christ, to give your life to Christ. He also said that my brother would want you to hear those words as well. They are powerful words. They are wise words, and we know they're controversial words. She did not deserve his forgiveness. She did a terrible, horrible thing to that family. And yet his words remind us, I believe, of God's words to us. And so in our journey in Hosea, we are going to be reminded of this covenant, relentless love of God as we stumble and fall, as they in the 8th century stumbled and fell. And that's the ministry of the prophet Hosea. Hosea was born around 785 B.C. And he was called to be a prophet at a young age at about 24, 25, or 26 years old. And he brought God's word to his people over several decades. And even though his prophecies proved to be true every step along the way, God's people suffered again and again because they refused to listen to him. And yet Hosea doesn't give up. In fact, towards the end of his life, the Holy Spirit led Hosea to create a collection of his prophecies that we now know and call the book of Hosea. He designed his book to give God's people wisdom for the challenges they faced during their day, to warn of the consequences if they did not listen to God, and to remind them of God's covenantal relentless love. And as a divinely inspired book, the book of Hosea also imparts to us today wisdom and warning and love to God's people in every age, including reminding us of Jesus and his relentless love towards us. So to understand this book, we're going to do some un developing some, some themes. And we're going to learn these three things about Hosea. His profession, his prophecy, and his parish. His profession, his prophecy, and his parish. So who is Hosea? Not much, a little is known of him. In fact, interesting, his name means salvation. But let me be clear, it's not a clue to the theme or purpose of his prophecy, but it is nonetheless a fitting epithet of his message that beautifully declares the sovereign love 
of God in dealing with the undeserving, which we are all part of that undeserving. We do not deserve God's grace or love. We do not deserve to be offered forgiveness, but he does. Apart from identifying his father, Bori, the scripture says nothing about his lineage. Bori may have connections to Barah of 1 Chronicles 5, 6, who is from the tribe of Reuben and from northern roots. Regardless, Hosea was a prophet. Now, unlike the other two anointed or messianic occupations of the Old Testament, priest and king, because in the Old Testament we see priest, king, and prophets, prophets, the prophet office was not restrictive to pedigree. What do I mean? Priest, if you're a priest in the Old Testament, a priest for God's people, you had to come from the, the, the lineage, the pedigree of, of the tribe of Levi. If you were a king, at least of those of the southern kingdom, you had to trace your lineage to Judah, and more specifically, to the family of David. So whereas priests and kings were born to be priests and kings, prophets became prophets only by the unique call of God. Interesting tidbit, whereas priests and kings could not cross over into the spheres of other occupations. A priest can only be a priest, a king can only be a king. A prophet could be a priest, could be a king, or could be anything else. Hosea's office also is tied to his ministry. Understanding how Hosea contributes to the decoration of the gospel is important. Hosea being a prophet points directly, points directly, as all prophets do, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate, the ideal prophet, the ideal priest, and the ideal king. So what was a primary function of a prophet? What was Hosea's primary function? It was to serve as God's representative, his ambassador, by communicating the very words of God to his people. Thus, prophets never spoke on their own authority. They never shared their own personal opinions. But they rather delivered the message God himself gave them. And many of the goals of the prophets was to forewarn and to foretell. See, prophets forewarned God's people of their consequences of sin and rebellion. The prophets, prophets reformed forewarning, including making known the holiness of God. It included letting know, them know the covenant obligations to be in a relationship with God. They forewarned in the sense of denouncing injustice and idolatry and empty ritualism and to call, to call God's people to repentance and faithfulness. Prophets not only forewarn, they foretell. They foretell, they, they predicted the future events of what was going to happen with God's people, but also what's going to happen about the Messiah. So they forewarned and they foretold. That was what Hosea was doing. But another point we need to realize about the profession of a true prophet was it was a messianic occupation. What do I mean by that? First of all, it was an anointed profession. It was anointed. The noun Messiah is based on the verb meaning to spread liquid over. The most liquid common used was olive oil. And both objects and people were anointed. 
And most of this anointing came in ceremonies of worship rituals. The anointed people served in leadership roles, both civil and religious. They served as leaders, as priests, kings, and prophets. The anointing set the person apart for a special work. And although the Old Testament uses the noun Messiah most frequently for kings, any person anointed could be accurately designated as a Messiah. Kings, priests, prophets were all types of Messiahs. For the anointed prophet, his special work was to preach. Honestly, that's why in our circles, preaching is so important. We're declaring the word of God. Hosea was declaring the water of God. Hosea, representing the Messiah function of a prophet, was anointed to the special work of preaching. What Hosea preached and what he had, when he had, what he had to endure in connection with his ministry were the temporal, listen, temporal manifestations of God's eternal plan. What he says matters for all eternity. Now, we may know nothing of the occasion and details of Hosea's special call as a prophet. The fact of the call is evident from its consequences. If we read part of verse, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, this is an absolute verification that he was God's select and elect spokesman. It, he was God's prophet. It was an anointed profession. Hosea was also an, it was an authorized profession. A prophet was an authorized profession. As the Messiah was, was anointed, he was also accredited. God gave the prophet the authority to exercise his office. The prophet's authority rested in the fact that he was a representative of God before his people, speaking the Lord's words to them. The word, prophet, the word prophet inherently conveys authority. He speaks of God, and the only legitimate prophet, whether predicting the future or exposing sin or inviting repentance, declares, thus says the Lord, God. Ezekiel 2.4. Throughout Hosea, he cites evidence of God speaking to him. In verse 1, in verse 2, in verse, chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter verse chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 3, verse 1. And then significantly in Hosea, chapter 4, verse 1, he begins the preaching section of his prophecy in this way. Hear the word of the Lord. Hosea's profession was a prophet. It was anointed. It was, a, it was an accredited, an authorized, and it was an energized profession. What do I mean? Messiah, a Messiah type in the Old Testament, was empowered with an empowered individual. When the Lord anointed one for a prophet, he did not abandon that individual to his own abilities and strength. Our Lord always supplies the power for that special work, the power of the Holy Spirit. Although for his, Hosea, there's no direct statement of this empowerment, we assume how God worked in other prophets that this is true for all prophets. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel witnessed a mysterious and a magnificent vision of God's glory and fell on its face to, in worship in recognition of, of his self-insufficiency. And then at that moment, the Lord commanded him to stand and the spirit entered him and caused him to stand. 
The prophet Micah, contrasting his ministry to the false prophets, testifies in Micah 3.8, but truly I am full of power by the spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel her sins. The Lord assured the prophet Isaiah in connection with the profound prophecy of the Redeemer coming to Zion, he says this, My spirit is upon you, and my words which I have put on your mouth shall not depart from your mouth. Isaiah 59. See, the Spirit's empowerment enabled the prophets to fulfill their duty of obeying God's command to preach with boldness regardless of opposition and harm, and to do so with confidence of the ultimate success of the word they preached. They knew that when they preached the word, God was going to work. See, because Hosea was a prophet, he shared these marks with every other of his messianic colleagues. The certainty of his divine call, his God-given authority, his spirit-empowered ministry added weight to what he preached and what he practiced. One has said this, the prophet Hosea ministered during one of the most difficult times in Israel's history. In Hosea's day, both Israel and Judah faced serious threats from Assyria. In addition, by the time Hosea completed his book, the kingdom of Israel had fallen in 722 under God's severe judgment, and judgment threatened Judah as well. In the midst of these struggles, God called Hosea to speak wisdom and God's covenant love his people. You see, Hosea was a reformer, a preacher whose agenda was to motivate the people to repentance and to direct them to obedience to God's covenant demands. See, God's people then was, was to look and to give heed and to hear. We too are to do the same thing with this message. We're to, because we know that the word of God abides forever. What Hosea has to say to them and what he has, he has something to say to us as well in our journey through Hosea. So what are some major themes? What is his prophecy? We heard about his profession. What is his prophecy? What are some, ma some major themes that Hosea is going to be dealing with? Well, first of all, let me give you a structure. The first three chapters is an autobiography. It recounts how Hosea is to respond to the faithfulness of his wife, Gomer. How, how, how an unfaithful wife, and she was extremely unfaithful, and yet God called Hosea to love his wife, to pursue his wife, to redeem her from slavery into which her unfaithfulness landed her. That's the first three chapters. In fact, next week we'll look at that. But then in chapters 4 and 14, Hosea uses personal experience, his own personal experience of suffering as a parable to depict the Lord's broken relationship with his covenant people, with us, and his intention to redeem them from their own and our own enslavement to various sins and unfaithfulness. So a big deal in Hosea is this, this beautiful picture of the covenant. That's the heart of his message. Hosea is actively reminding God's people that God remains faithful to his covenant. He has kept his end of the bargain, regardless of ours and theirs gross unfaithfulness. See, Hosea's point paints Israel's unfaithfulness with vivid images in these chapters, calling God's people with both warning and heartfelt appeals to return to the Lord. 
Hosea, failure to repent will result in punishment. But God takes note, hear me, yes, there are consequences to when we rebel and do not turn back to the Lord. But God, listen, God takes no delight in exercising judgment. We see that throughout the Hosea. And although God is relentless in pursuing us, it's often spurned. He continues to be constant and never changing in his love towards us. His desire for God's people to turn from the idols to him, from the, to come to, the, to experience the one true husband, Jesus, and knowing that he's the only one who can provide for all our needs. So, it, so we'll see in our journey here, it is a story of redemption. It's a true love story. A true love story. Another important theme we need to recognize is that Hosea is anticipating, is anticipating the Messiah. All prophets and prophet Mosea is a type of Christ. Certain people were types of Christ, not because of their personalities or character traits, but by virtue of their office. All prophets, priests, and kings were lesser messiahs and types of the ideal messiah, Jesus. All the features that mark them for their office are perfectly and ideally true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was chosen in the covenant of redemption to be the holy redeemer, the only redeemer, of God's people. He was accredited with heaven's approval and authority to perform all the duties of the anointed mediator, and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his work as our Savior. But due to the fall, right, when Adam and Eve sinned years and years and thousands and thousands of years ago, right, since the fall, since we sin, right, we need a a priest, a prophet, a king to reconcile us to God. Every passing prophet increased, every prophet to this point was increasing the anticipation of for the ideal prophet. When will he come? They're crying out. So in every sense, every prophet, including Hosea, shared the mission of John the Baptist, the greatest of prophets before the prophet Jesus, when he said to prepare the way for his coming. John made it clear that he was a pointer to Jesus Christ. He was about preparing the way for his coming. Every prophet before John was preparing the way for Jesus' coming. Now, although the Old Testament prophets, including Hosea, were spokesmen for God and men of God, they how imperfectly they imperfectly represented God when compared to Jesus, who was the brightness, Hebrew says, he was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So we need to understand that as we look at Hosea, we need to see that Jesus is the ideal prophet because Jesus Christ himself is God. The proof that Jesus of Nazareth is the ideal prophet was and is overwhelming. Christ's preaching, we see through the gospel, his teaching, his working during his earthly mission constituted what we call his immediate or direct prophetic work. He consistently claimed the divine source of his message, predicted the future accurately, performed the necessary signs and wonders to confirm his election, his authority and ability as a prophet with the last and final word of God. So to Jesus, all prophets bore witness. So Hosea was a contributor 
to the messianic expectancy and anticipation. So therefore, when we look at Hosea, we learn of Christ. When we look at Hosea in our series, we learn of Christ. His profession, his prophecy, his parish. Hosea is unique among the writing prophets in regard to his nationality and parish. Around the time of Hosea, prophetic ministry, a number of nations played an important role in the history of God's people. 200 years before Hosea was on the scene in 930 BC, the United Kingdom of David and Solomon was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. Both of these kingdoms figured prominently in Hosea's prophetic service during the 8th century. And at that time, God's people also interacted with many nations like Syria and Egypt. But above all, Hosea's ministry was focused on events involving the Assyrian Empire. In Hosea's day, Syria became a powerful empire that extended its influence in every direction, including the lands of Israel and Judah. Hosea's ministry began in the northern kingdom of Israel nearly 200 years after Israel separated from Judah. So living in northern Israel during this period of history was difficult for anyone who sought to be faithful to God. There were so many pressures. There were so many things going on that distracted people from worshiping the one true God. And this was especially true for a man, young man like Hosea, a man who had been called to be a prophet. Hosea witnessed firsthand how Israel's leaders had turned their kingdom away from the Lord and trusted in alliances with other nations and with false gods. In fact, the priests during that time, the priests of Israel, would mix the worship of God with drunken, lewd, vulgar fertility rituals associated with idolatry. The rich grew rich, and the poor were so poor, this is amazing, right? So poor that often they had to devote their wives and daughters to temple prostitution just to earn enough to eat. There's some communities even now in the world that, that are doing that. So as Hosea faced these heartbreaking conditions in northern Israel, Jesus, God, called him to prophesy, to bring the message from Israel's divine king, God himself, that few, few people wanted to hear. God was about to pour out curses on the kingdom of Israel through the Assyrian Empire. And so we see that Hosea's ministry lasted maybe up to 60 years. We're not quite sure. So as a citizen of the northern kingdom, he directed his message primarily to the northern kingdom of Israel. He was a northerner preaching to the north. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes when I hear a southerner come and speak to a crowd like Maryland, I don't know if I can respect them. Does he know our culture coming from the south, right? Where here, particularly, God raised up Hosea to specifically, who was raised in the north, to speak directly to those in the north. Because he knew what was going on. He wasn't a foreigner in that land, but he was one who can speak directly because he was one of them. 
Hosea induced his prophecy by identifying the kings during whose administration he ministered. His reference to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, hints at his northern heritage and concern. Moreover, though, notwithstanding this northern connection, it's interesting as he lists the kings, he lists not the other kings of Israel, not the other kings of Israel during that time, but the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. From Isaiah to Hezekiah, he ignores all the kings after Jeroboam. Why? Some have said this, given the chaos in the northern kingdom of Israel, marked by power struggles, political intrigue, assassination, assassinations, dynasty, dynasty shifts, and brief kingly tenure, it is little wonder that Hosea disregarded the other kings of the northern kingdom. Jeroboam, too, had already put the nation on a downward spiral, and everything went south quickly after him. See, Hosea's specific inclusion of the Judea kings may say something of his theological, if not political, allegiance to the Davidic dynasty. See, Hosea had in mind, had in view, the Davidic covenant, which sets a course for the coming of the ideal king, Jesus, our Savior. So in fact, Hosea anticipated the Messiah's coming when he predicted the day in Israel will return to the Lord and even David their king, as king in Hosea 3.5. And we'll look at that later in the next weeks. So we see that Hosea was not only a prophet that God raised for the northern kingdom. He was not the only one speaking to the northern kingdom. There was Amos who preached to Israel during the reign of Jeroboam too. But he was a missionary from the south. Jonah was from the north as well, but his prophecy was more biological, recounting his own reluctant mission to Nineveh. Elijah and Elisha, the most famous of the northern prophets, preached a century earlier. So the uniqueness of Hosea is that he was a northerner who not only preached to the north, but also wrote his message who was primarily directed to the northern kingdom. Yet, listen to me, Yet, as the inspired word of God, Hosea is, is the inspired word of God, borders do not restrict its authority and its relevance for us today. What should stand out for us is that in the times of crisis, sent, God sent an individual with a word. Even before Hosea and at the beginning of the northern kingdom in 930 when it, they broke off, God sent a bold yet naively disobedient unnamed prophet to deliver a word against Jeroboam 1. When he, sent up, when he set up what was to become the state religion of Israel. When Baal worship attained official status during the co-regency of King Ahab and Jezebel, God raised up Elijah and Elisha to, to affirm the one true and living God. At the beginning of the end of the northern kingdom, when Jeroboam II ruled, God had his prophets, including Hosea, to sound the warning sound, the warning trumpets, right? So we see that Hosea's parish was ecumenical in the very worst way. The state religion of Jeroboam was entrenched. Baal worship was the, the, the time of the day. Basically, many people of God forsook the Lord and began to worship other gods and other things. But even in that tragedy, we know that God has a remnant that there are people of grace trying to live in that time and reminds us that God doesn't give up on his people. 
He doesn't give up on us today. Friends, the very fact that God raised Hosea to minister to a people living in those days of religious and spiritual messliness should give us hope. Throughout biblical history, we see that the worship of the Lord had been abandoned by the people of God in favor of idol worship. This is not the only time in biblical history that we see God's people turning from God, this covenant-loving God, this faithful God, the God who offers forgiveness and grace and a, a forever relationship. They turn their back. But in God's plan, what's amazing, as we see through the prophet Hosea, there's eventual restoration. See, the book of Hosea shows the, the wickedness and folly of idol worship and points by contrast to the one true God who not only can provide all that his people need, but is willing to do so despite their rejection of him. That's the beautiful story of Hosea and Goma and God and his people. Both Hosea's personal story, right, and the over-historical content in which he points demonstrates God's way of salvation in Jesus Christ. God always stands ready to forgive and restore and renew those who come to him, who turn to him, those who know that they're sinners needing grace, knowing they need changing. And he has provided us, right, the ransom from this slavery to our sins through Jesus Christ. See, the marriage theme in Hosea finds its fullest expression in Christ's love for the church. So those brother words that he said to this police officer that recklessly and mindlessly killed his brother. I don't want you to go to jail. I don't want you to go to hell in a sense. I don't want you to face punishment. His, this brother of this murdered, of his brother who was murdered says to this police officer who murdered his brother, I forgive you. I want the best for you. And the best is giving your life to Christ. He is saying that to us today. In the book of Hosea, he's reminding us of this relentless love that God has for us. And he says to us, because of Christ, I forgive you. I don't want you to go to hell. I want, to, I want you to find your life, your identity, your purpose, your satisfaction. And the one true God who we see in Jesus Christ. So maybe this might be the first time for you to do that. Come. Come to Christ. But we who have been Christians for years or many years, we too need to turn from our sins. We too need to find forgiveness and grace and renewal in Christ every day and every moment of the day. This is the message of Hosea because this is the message of our loving God. Let us pray. Father, I know that there's a lot of information that was given to us today, but it's needed information for us to understand where we're going in this book. But Father, help us to rest knowing that we're not alone in this journey. That Lord, help us to know that you are actively pursuing us, desiring to restore us, to renew us, to change us, to break us from our sinful patterns and help us to live in a way that shows forth our connection to you. Give us grace. We need your grace, Lord Jesus. Help us rest in that grace. Help us be empowered by that grace. 
Help us to hear these words from this prophet today as your very words to us, helping us to, to faithfully live as you have been always faithful to us. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.